The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Welcome into the batting order be the second episode of this not so new show, episode 462. Brandon, how are you doing? Spring training has sprung. Spring training has basically passed us by. It's officially over today. No more games. Everybody's traveling to wherever they start their season tomorrow. How are you doing? How are they feeling? How are you feeling? Lots of questions. I'll tell you, I'm I'm doing good. Uh, feeling good. I'd have to assume the the players are feeling good. Uh, and you know, I heard this the other day. Uh, I forget. I might have been watching MLB Network or forget exactly where I heard it. But if you remember, this is the first like fully normal spring training since 2019. Um, 2020, of course, we had the pandemic, uh, the 2021 season was, um, still COVID protocol stuff. Remember a lot of teams opened their season without, um, fans or limited fans. And then of course, last year we had the lockout, which there was really like no spring training, right? Like, so there were there was very little so this was the first year since 2019 since pre-pandemic where teams were able to you know go in right around valentine's day get everything situated get everything uh, set up and uh we're able to properly ramp up so it's been exciting i've been following the yankees quite closely um and certainly a lot to talk about uh with just a lot of different storylines that have appeared over the last, what, I guess, like six weeks, right? Six weeks. There's been plenty to talk about over this last week, but you talk about this being the first normal spring training in a while. I would argue with some of the changes that have happened here, it's probably the best spring training we've had in a while. And the normalcy will certainly contribute to potentially the best season we've had in a while as now up to bat, New rules in spring training, of course, this last year has brought a number of different rule changes here. We've got changes to the shift. We have the pitch clock. We have the changes to pickoffs and base size, all having drastic impacts on the game. Brandon, your opening thoughts. So I have a few thoughts regarding each rule. Uh, First, of course, the pitch clock i like it a lot speeds the game up for sure um however my biggest gripe with it is that some of the umps just love showing up the players with it um nestor cortez yesterday got an automatic ball called on him not because he wasn't set on the mound but because he wasn't looking the batter in the eyes which, you know, look, like, I think that it's a good, it, it's a really good rule. There is some things, like, I saw Max Scherzer talking about, like, you know, how when the clock hits seven or whatever, when the batter is supposed to step in, is that 7.0? Because there's no, like, a decimal on the clock, you know. Is that actually seven seconds? Is it 6.9 seconds when the ump officially can call it off? Um, and I think that 
it's going to take a little getting used to for the MLB guys, but you can tell that these prospects that have been in the minors that had already had to, you know, use this pretty, pretty much all of last year, they're, they're completely fine with it. Um, and I'll say, I'm not sure if you saw yeah. Sergio Romo. He had, he had his last ever game and yes. he was embracing the crowd at Oracle Park as they were giving him a standing ovation and got two automatic balls called on him, um, which, you know, look, it's the rules. At that, at that point, I, I wouldn't care either. Yeah, no, it's the rules. But no, I think that the pitch clock is a great addition. The games are certainly sped up. Um, and, and I, I have a few more to your point here, Brandon. Yeah. It's very much the same issues what we've been having for years. If it weren't the pitch clock, we, these umpires would find something else to do to attack these players. And so at the end of the day, that's a change that, you know, not enough people are realizing how I don't entirely know how to, create the rules to make umpires more accountable but that's really what this all comes down to so much of the game you know even with if you put in robot umps for the ball strike calls that type of stuff it's still excuse me it's still an issue it's still difficult for us to truly trust these guys until there's some form of proper accountability system put into place by the league by the umpires to ensure fair play here the one thing that I don't think is going to have, you know, that much of an impact, I never thought it was going to have, like, this crazy drastic impact. The shift doesn't seem like much of a storyline here. Obviously, you're seeing teams now go with the outfield shifts very heavily. Those, of course, they're only going to affect the major offenders. They're only going to affect the Joey Gallows who don't know, physically don't know how to put the ball into center field, much less the opposite field. And so that doesn't really concern me as much. What I find the more interesting rule change and the more interesting storyline here is going to be the stolen bases because you add that into the pace of the game. You add that in to the two pickoff attempt rule and these new bases. We're going to see start seeing some special, special numbers. I'm not sure it'll be this year, because basically what we're going to have is we're going to have the Wild West of guys running, trying to figure out statistically who has the advantage, who has the proper advantage, and what teams can get away with. But in my eyes, two, three years down the line, we're going to start seeing those Ricky Henderson-esque seasons start to come back. Like, there's plenty of guys, Brandon, you're, you're wincing as I say this. I'm not saying he's, his record's going to get broken right away. But there are plenty of guys. No this- one's ever touching that. 130 in a season, no one's ever touching that. And I, I, I I'm telling I, you right now, we're going to see a couple guys around 70, 80 within the next three years. If we're, already, if we're already getting to that, 130 is very much in play for the right guy in the right situation. Very much. I, I don't think there will necessarily be anyone as good as him again, but that doesn't mean that these the, the right situation, the right player – isn't going to be able to touch that at this point. These rule changes put that back into play. And a guy that I was doing a little a reading about uh, a couple nights ago, who he plays for Oakland. His name is Esteore Ruiz. Um, he stole like 80-something bases in the minors last year. 
Uh, he had like 35 at-bats for the A's last year, but he's going to break camp with them this year and will fully be in the majors. Um, if he can get on base enough, I think he'll uh, he'll be pretty pretty good. I think that he could lead the league in stolen bases um, as like technically a rookie, so that's certainly something um, to note. As for the uh, pickoff rule, I like it, but I'm interested to see the kind of mind games that we're going to see in the regular season with it. Um, you know, as soon as you throw over once, it just seems like it's so pointless to throw over that second time because after that, you can just take a massive lead where you know, like, okay, I'm either going to, like, yeah, if the pitcher steps off, he has to get me out. Um, I don't know. It seems like once you throw over once, I would just, I would steal if I was if I was on base and I was quick enough and I had the green light. But I'm interested to see what these speedsters and other guys are able to do. Um, and that's and the of beauty course- of it, too, is there's going to be those opportunities. The one thing we haven't talked about here, and I'm not sure, you know, maybe the Twins were ahead of ahead of the game and onto something with the Vasquez contract, which I think most people have agreed was a bit of an overpay. But those defensive catcher contract numbers are going to spike because not only is that where the entertainment of the game is going to come so much from, but it's going to become more and more important. Honestly, some of the more exciting game plays of some of these games now are going to be seventh inning runner on first. You know he's going. JT Real Muto throwing down on the pitch out. Like those. Yeah, and we might see teams. Are be special. And to your point, we might see teams uh, actually use the pitch out. It seems like it's so rare in, in uh, today's game uh, just because there's no one who. You know, teams kind of came to the conclusion once the uh, sabermetrics started taking over that if you can't steal bases at a 75% or higher clip, there's it's there's no reason for you to be to be doing so. So with the bigger bases, the pickoff rules and the pitch clock as well, because now the pitchers can't, you know, stand there and keep looking over at the runner and stepping off, playing those kind of mind games. Um so yeah, no, I I agree. I think the uh, overall the rules in spring training have uh, proven to be very positive for the game, and the game seemed much quicker. And very excited to see what they look like in the regular season. All right, moving on here. You mentioned a rookie that you think could lead the league in stolen bases. Here, let's talk about some other rookies now up to bat. Can Anthony Volpe? In Jordan Walker, two top prospects for the Yankees and Cardinals who have now officially broken camp with their teams. Can they win the Rookie of the Year, Brandon? Absolutely. Uh, I don't see why not, especially when you're breaking camp. You know that you're going to get a full season in, barring some very unfortunate circumstances. Um I mean, Anthony Volpe seems like the real deal. Uh, So a baseball reference has this thing for the spring training stats, and it's called opponent quality. Um, And look, unfortunately, Anthony Volpe, it's essentially like he was facing double A 
uh, pitching across all of his at-bats that he had in spring training, but he was hitting these pitchers like it was a double-A uh, quality. A major leaguer play, hitting a double-leaguer. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, a one-dot OPS, 300, 400, 600 slash line. And, you know, props to the Yankees for finally doing this. And I think a big part of why they want Anthony Volpe to break camp is these new rules set by the CBA. And I guess you could say the same for the Cardinals, where, yes, sure, the extra year of control might be nice, you know, to keep these guys uh, down for the first two or three weeks or until May, whatever the actual date is this year. But now if you finish top three in the rookie of the year voting or win the rookie of the year, you get that draft pick compensation, which seems really important to teams. Imagine having an extra first round pick just because you chose to bring up a guy like Anthony Volpe or Jordan Walker. Just uh, because you did it right the first time. you Right. And we've seen other teams like the Braves last year. What they brought Vaughn or Grissom straight up from double A uh, to the bigs. And now he's not even breaking camp with the team, I don't think. I think he's going back down to AAA. Um, I absolutely love it. The Yankees really don't have a better option at shortstop than than Anthony Volpe. Um, and, yeah, excited. You know, he'll be hitting ninth on opening day and believe he's the first player to debut – for the Yan- or in the MLB on opening day for the Yankees since Hideki Matsui did. Uh, and, of course, that was like he was much older. So really the first time the Yankees are playing a true rookie on opening day in, in quite a while. Absolutely. Judging right up to the rookie of the year conversation, I absolutely love Jordan Walker. You know, first off, great player. But I love him in terms of if you're trying to place a bet here, this is a relatively weak, especially compared to the American League. The National League does not have the same star power. It may have some pedigree, but it doesn't have the guys that you necessarily feel confident in turning out good performances here. I mean, looking at the odds here, you know, you're talking Jordan Walker, if I'm correct, yes, second in odds here at plus 390. Corbin Carroll ahead of him with plus 350. Past that, we're talking about Miguel Vargas, Kodai Senga, Ezekiel Tovar, Francisco Alvarez, Ellie De La Cruz. This isn't Brett Beatty also up in that top 10 odds situation here too. I mean, this is a, this feels like a very weak class. Maybe somebody impresses, maybe somebody overperforms what we're anticipating here, but it feels like a very weak class from the National League side. I would trend way more on the Jordan Walker side than I would the Anthony Volpe side for a variety of reasons, not just the bet because of the guys around him, guys like Gunnar Henderson, guys like Grayson Rodriguez, who we'll talk about in a little bit, eventually coming up, a guy like Masataka Yoshida, who I feel like should be the easy odds-on favorite to win Rookie of the Year at this point. I don't quite understand why he isn't, but I'll take it. There's also the issue of, you know, you, you come up now, they can still send them down if they're struggling. I don't necessarily think the Yankees are going to be the team to stick with a guy while they're trying to contend if he's having trouble with the adjustment. But also, 
This is a team that likes to move guys around and likes to rotate the team a lot. I have a feeling if everybody stays healthy, he's probably going to have the least amount of games among the top position players put in there, especially when you still have a Peraza there. You still have an Isaiah Kiner-Falefa there. These guys that they want to get into games. Yeah, you know, I do agree with that. Um, However, there is kind of a glaring problem with Jordan Walker, and that's that he's a third baseman, and the Cardinals have, like, you know, some might say the best or second best third baseman in the league. Honestly, it's hard hard to call him the second best third baseman, Brandon. Who are you hearing this from? Who are you hearing this from? Well, Jose Ramirez is one. Um, you know, we're not um, having this argument right now. We're already yeah, no, not right now. But look, Jordan Walker is a third baseman, and unfortunately, you know, Nolan Arenado is in his way. Um, and they're just kind of going to stick him out in right field and just, you know, just just hope that he can he can figure it out. Um, well, you, you know, know this is a guy with out in left field. Yeah, you know, this is a guy with. 80 grade potential power for both game power and raw power. And that's on the 2080 scale. Uh, Quite ridiculous. His fielding, however, his third base fielding was only a 50 potential grade on the 2080 scale. And that's at third base. So, uh, you know, I think we could have. And you never know what you're going to see out of this guy in right field. This could be a situation where it could be an improvement. And, you know, who knows? He's such a good hitter that he could hit 20 home runs or so, and what he does in the field just does not matter whatsoever. Um, But so excited. I mean, this kid's only 20. Volpe's only 21. To finally see these teams willing to break camp with these top prospects, and I think a lot of that has to do with that draft pick compensation that they could uh, potentially get. All right, well, let's talk about a couple of other guys with some defensive liabilities here. Now up, the ongoing saga of the Milwaukee Brewers. They've been trying to figure out who's going to be this last guy on the roster. It came down to Luke Voigt and Keston Hurria. Neither guy are you necessarily looking at and thinking, okay, this is the defensive stud. This is the guy you play every day. But both are in situations where they are a nice um, compliment to the lineup based on their handedness, based on their offensive skill set. And so, Brandon, I'll open up to you with the question. Luke Voigt or Keston Hurrio, who would you have rather had? Obviously, the Brewers chose Luke Voigt. Yeah, um, it's really tough because, you know, Luke Voigt, when he was on the Yankees, you knew you were going to get some pop in his bat and – you know, you were just hoping that any throw on a ground ball was was not in the dirt because because that was not getting scooped up. It was it was going to get by him. Um, fielding, yeah, of course, fielding wise, not the best. However, uh, Keston Hira, you know, he is an above average hitter, and so is Voight, and they're honestly so similar in the way that you know that that their stats look that it is really tough. And if you're going by age, of course, uh, Hira is 26 and Voight is in his thirties now. And Hira was one of the Brewers top prospects for quite a while. This is their first round pick 
from 2017 who they you know they picked him ninth overall uh the expectations were pretty high for this guy and they've kind of been waiting you know really since 2019 when he started getting full-time run you know they were kind of waiting for the breakout season and big struggles in 2020 big struggles in 2021 finally turned it around a little last year but I think they're going with Luke Voigt just because they've seen enough of uh, Keston Hira. Sure, 115 OPS plus. That's great. You want to know what's not great is this strikeout to walk ratio. 111 Ks to 23 walks. That's a little over 5 to 1 strikeouts to walks. And is the fielding, like, you know, that much better? I mean, Hira... Negative 0.7 defensive war on baseball reference uh, last year. And Voigt had a negative 0.3. Uh, that was with the Nationals, the negative 0.3, and then a negative 0.8 with the Padres. So, yeah, negative 1.1. But I think they're picking Voigt because he's a veteran, little more clubhouse leadership, and they want the new guy in there. They've seen enough of a Keston hero. Yeah. My take here, my take is also Luke Voigt. They made the right decision here in bringing him along. And it's basically more about need than who they want to see, because you have to look at the rest of the roster around them on the third base, middle infield type situation. Because again, um, here has played all, all over the place for them over the last couple of years with injuries and stuff. But at the end of the day, you've got Luis Urias at a, as a right-handed bat. You've got Willie Adamas as a right-handed bat. You've got guys like Brasso and Miller off this bench that are also going to be right-handed bats. And so you've got a lot in there that's going to be able to do similar things to him at similar clips. And that's also considering it's not just them looking at Luke Voigt as the new guy. They're also looking at Bryce Terang, who looks set to come up with this team, break camp. Their number two prospect this year, number 65 overall, is going to break as the second baseman. And so that is another fresh look that you're getting with this group. Meanwhile, for Voigt, you're looking at a guy and talking about a man who is the lone right-hander among those power bats. You know, you're looking at Rowdy Tellez, a guy who's a left-handed bat. Jesse Winker is going to be that DH. And honestly, with the way his performance has been of late, it looks likely that they'd probably switch um, based on matchup between Voigt and Winker in as that DH during the primary lineup. And so overall, it just brings so much more to have a right-hander in Luke Voigt as an option than it would to bring Hira back around for another run. And with that, we're going to move on to our next topic here. Grayson Rodriguez, the top premier pitcher in the Baltimore Orioles scheme, the Baltimore, Baltimore Orioles scheme. situation here. Yes, it's Love a scheme, that. really. Um, he doesn't get make the call up. He gets sent back down for the start of the year. It was a tough decision. You know, I think reasonably I would say they had – a good six guys that were probably all about the same level of major league caliber player right now. 
And so, or excuse me, I'll five. I'll give Kyle Gibson a lot more respect than that. But you know, when you've got five guys of your six potential starters that are around the same level, something's got to give. Brandon, do you feel that Grayson Rodriguez deserves the call up? It's it's really tough because he clearly struggled in spring training, you know, giving up about a, a run per inning pitched. Uh, the whip was pretty high, 1.5. Clearly, he can strike guys out. When you're striking out more than one batter per inning, you've got nasty stuff. Um, but he's only 23. You know, it takes time for these pitchers to really get into form uh, for – reference yeah spencer strider's 24 and he debuted uh well i guess in 2021 but full you know time starter in 2022 um let's just give it time who's saying that you know the first injury that happens to an orioles pitcher who's saying who you know i i could easily see grayson rodriguez get called up uh and it's just it's a it's a tough choice but Clearly, they the Orioles, who I think are one of the better run organizations now, given their budget limitations and their whole ownership situation, which is just a, a complete hot mess, mess. Hot mess. Um, I I think that this is the right decision at first. Also, you will be getting John Means back. At some point this year, of course, remember last year he went down in April uh, with Tommy John surgery. So you figure he'll be coming back as well. And that's easily, or I shouldn't say easily, but that is one of your best pitchers probably behind Kyle Gibson. So uh, I don't mind them uh, sending Grayson Rodriguez to AAA, considering that at AAA he – you know, that's where he spent most of last year and he was really good. Let's just give him a couple of weeks there. And if he's still balling out, go for it. But based on the opponent quality he faced in spring training, it was somewhere between double A and triple A hitters. So maybe a little cause for concern for Baltimore. And that's why they chose to start him off at triple A. Again, it's a tough, tough situation here when you have, you know, Dean Kramer, I still can't believe we're saying this man's name in a major league setting. Cole Irvin, Kyle Bradish, Tyler Wells, you know, these are all guys that are probably going to give you mid fours ERA. And compared to a rookie, I think that's a pretty fair spot to put most rookies. Obviously, if a guy breaks out, he breaks out. But that's a very realistic scenario for a Grayson Rodriguez rookie season. So you got to run with the guys that you are easiest to put out onto the field. In terms of Grayson Rodriguez, this is definitely, I think, a benefit not being up because you get the chance to not have this target on your back of a bad spring training because there's no way to sugarcoat this. It was a bad spring training. You get to take that target off your back, but at the same time, it doesn't feel as much or it won't feel as much like a defeat going back down because you're not going to be just sitting there with people way below your league you're going to have people around to compete with, not necessarily because he won't be really good against the AAA caliber pitcher because he's already proven that wasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, was it like a 2-3 ERA for him last year in AAA, yeah. Brandon? Uh, just uh, it up? 
Yeah, it was a 2.2 across 70 innings in AAA. Yeah, again, that's that's incredible stuff, especially when you're considering 12 strikeouts per nine and 21. Oh, that was only four innings. Never mind. Um, like, he pitched incredibly well, and so he's going to be better than the average pitcher at that level once he gets warmed up into the season. But he's not going to be just sitting down there feeling like he's rotting because he's going to have competition. I definitely see a world where D.L. Hall jumps him to the majors this year. That, I think, is on the table. That's what you get. That's the benefit you get from going to AAA is you get to get give him, him and Hall that competition against each other to really see who has it and who's mature enough right now to make it on a major league, highly competitive roster. So if I'm the Orioles, I let both of those guys go right now. I don't even think about bringing them up. I don't really sniff that conversation until we get to the service time checkpoint, because, you know, at this point, not only are you not going to get the benefits of bringing him up, but I've said for a while now, it's not, every team isn't trying intentionally and maliciously trying to do the service time thing, but that service time checkpoint is a good chunk. A couple weeks down the line, that's a good sample size to see, okay, is this guy ready or we do, do we need to give him a month? That's the honestly feels like it hits at the perfect sweet spot for some of these guys. So s- sit down and make your decision then. Don't even worry about this on, up until then. Now going into the last topic of the day, now up to up to bat. Let's talk about this Andres Jimenez conver- um, excuse me, contract extension. Brandon, this man got paid. It's a seven-year deal. Buys out the rest of his ARB years. And honestly, I'd have to say with what he put together, I'm not expecting a, another season as good coming off of what he put together last year. But certainly feels like a great deal for the Cleveland Guardians. Fantastic deal. Uh, it's seven years, $106.5 million, $4 million signing bonus. And there is a $23 million option for the 2030 season. Um, I mean, look, this is the guy that was the focal point of the Francisco Lindor trade to the Mets. And the re- the main reason why the Guardians traded Francisco Lindor away in the first place was that they didn't want to pay him the 300 and whatever million dollars, 341, I think, is what Lindor ended up getting. The Guardians were not going to do that. They're not the type of team to give out these mega contracts due to their budget constraints. And for... Andres Jimenez to just show up last year and go off. I mean, it was an unbelievable season for him in his, in only his age 24 season. I think, uh, according to baseball reference war, 7.4, most players in, in, in the history of the league are lucky to get anywhere close to that for a single season. Uh, and he's kind of a do it all guy. He hits for average. He's got a little pop, 17 homers. He stole 20 bases. We probably can expect that number to go up a little bit. And he's durable, 146 games. What isn't there to really like about 
what this guy does, especially defensive, excuse me, defensively. And I, I, I tweeted this out on the batting order beat Twitter. Uh, and I just kind of mentioned this with the Orioles, but I think the Guardians are in conversation with the Rays and maybe the Astros as the best run team in the league. And just what they're able to do with their player development, with uh, their small budget, but able to still retain Jose Ramirez and retain Andres Jimenez and all these guys to build a contending team year after year is amazing. You have a guy like Stephen Kwan come out of nowhere, like literally nowhere last year, their fifth round pick in 2018 and puts on a show. So I think it was a, a great extension and I really couldn't be happier for the guy or for the guardians um, who just, you know, they do things the right way. All right. Well, that will wrap things up here today on the batting order beat as always. Go ahead and um, follow us on wherever you consume your podcast medium. Also, we are going heavily onto the YouTube verse, I guess we'll call it here, getting these clips, these show segments up onto YouTube. So go ahead and subscribe there if you want to see the video version of this podcast. And of course, everywhere at the Bob Belly Up for this show, the batting order beat. We will be back tomorrow with our first live show of the season. We will have some of our buddies from the Belly Up Media Network here with us, and we are very excited to get that project going. 7 p.m., right, is where we're 7 p.m. Eastern, yes. Opening day is so close, LJ. I, I, I am so giddy. Brandon, we're one sleep away from a Red Sox World Series run. Think about that. It's beautiful. Have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow. See ya.